podcast for those who suffer, which is everyone. It's a space where we can speak honestly about what it feels like to be in desolate places without losing hope. Welcome to In the Thicket. Hey, everybody. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Erin. How's it going? Hello. (laughs) Good. Good. I'm Nicole. I'm the one hosting today. We kind of take turns on the different topics hosting. We do, just in case you're listening. I'm uh, Erin. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm Rachel. I guess, yeah, Nicole was like, hey, guys, this is the thing where like we, if you guys are new to the podcast, if anybody's new, so that's who we are. And we just repeated it two times. So now you hopefully really know. Mm-hmm. Our names. That's all you know if you just joined us. That's okay. Well, See you later. Yeah, See you next week, everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you? So now we're like, I feel like we're well into winter now. I've been feeling so in mm-hmm. Nashville, we had like, um, so I, yes, I am going to talk about the weather as Excellent. We do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we just do. had like a little ice storm this week. And so legitimately, everything was covered in ice. And, and today it melted and it was really cool because the sky was clear. But you could just hear like dripping water everywhere because all the right. trees were dropping water and the ice and everything. Nice. Um, but it feels very gross and wintry. You know, it's starting to get into that kind of like, all right, we're ready for some mm-hmm. warmer weather. Weather? Are you? How, how are you guys? Well, doldrums or no? There's a lot of snow here. I mean, Rachel yeah. would understand because she's coming from. She drove from DC. Yeah. Uh, yesterday. Yep. Um, from DC to Hamilton. So how long of a drive was that, Rach? So it's eight hours, like eight hours and 20 minutes kind of in the car, mm-hmm. but then like mm-hmm. stops, which I really kind of minimize my stops, but you know, right. gas yeah. and like bathroom breaks. So it ends up being like, you know, about maybe nine hours. I, you could, I mean, you, I would say a generous take would be 10 hours. Right. right. I, I border crossing too. So yeah. Oh, but yeah. then Depending I left, the... yeah, I left at four 30 in the evening and I drove through the night, which, you know, take it or leave it. It might be kind of sketchy to do that, but it's great because border crossing is absolutely mm-hmm. a cinch. True. There's literally no one there. <laughs> if you try to cross the Canadian border from the U S at 1am on a Wednesday night, <laughs> usually you're good. <laughs> no one else is wanting to go no Canada, one's into it. Yeah. yeah. That That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. I love driving long distances like that too. Honestly, I drove, um, well, yeah, when we drove to Nicole's wedding, I drove for the most part, almost all of it. Um, and that was from like Toronto to, to Thunder Bay and then Thunder Bay to, to Winnipeg. But one time I drove by myself from Winnipeg to, um, to where was I? Sault Ste. Marie. Yep. And then, and then back up from there, but so long. Yeah, it's why and you, oh, man, like that that route is 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 so wild in the sense that you are in the wilderness for so much yeah, of it. It's yeah, actually wild. Superior, yeah. so you can mm-hmm. actually go eight hours in eight hours because there's just like no one else on the road. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. not traffic in the same way as many other places. Yeah, but. that's true. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay. Listen, we're getting back to the snow topic just for oh, yeah, right, right, two right, right. seconds because I saw a great picture on Facebook today. Mm. It was from like a, a neighbor. I don't know. It was in like the Buy Nothing group. You know how they oh, have yeah. those on yeah. Love Facebook? Buy Nothing. Love by nothing. Yeah. Yes. That's a great way to get rid of all your junk that somebody mm-hmm. else might love and also to take in other people's junk, which exactly. is just great, you know? So I'm yeah. a big fan. I got this couch from by nothing. Ooh, I have this like couch that I'm showing. It's uh, It was in a therapist's office. 
Oh, went rid of it when I moved to Nashville and didn't have any furniture. So it was great. Sweet. Yeah. So it's great. So it's a good thing. So this one, I don't even know. It was the funniest post because it wasn't asking for anything or saying anything. All she put up was a picture and a sad face as her caption. (laughs) And it was a picture of, then she explained it in a comment underneath when somebody asked what the heck it was. So it was basically um, a picture of this wall of snow that was at least five and a half feet. And on the other side was the road. And on the side where she was taking the picture was the sidewalk. So it was like probably like five and a half feet high and probably like a foot wide. And it was the end of her driveway. And it was like, yeah, it was like formed because the plows went by and then the sidewalk shovelers went by. And so then she just had like a five and a half foot wall of snow. Oh my gosh. What's good because she had sidewalk shovelers or whatever, because then... Because like uh, it sounds like they got in a lot of snow, like a crap ton of snow. Oh, it had to manually kind of go through that. It's herself. insane the amount of snow that we've had. We haven't had a super yeah. cold winter yet. It's going to get cold today and tomorrow. But like the amount of snow has been like like twenty centimeters at a time, thirty yeah. centimeters at a time. It's a lot of snow for That's Americans. Awesome. I don't know what that is in inches. I'm sorry. I know. I can't tell you. <laughs> twenty centimeters is like two and a half, right? So sure, it's like a solid eight inches there. Okay. Yeah. So something like that, whatever well, it is, like the other a foot thing of is, snow. So yeah, so it's been like kind of cold in Nashville. It's, and also in Texas, they've gotten, mm, yeah. they they had like kind of a freeze and like a bunch oh, of right. stuff. My parents are there mm. and they were trying to come to Canada and their flights were grounded two days and so their flights yeah. got canceled. They're supposed to be here yesterday and they weren't able to they were supposed to leave today and they weren't yeah. able to so just like crossing mm-hmm. all right yeah. so i mean basically all of this talk about weather just to uh just to make an announcement to all of our listeners we're all moving to florida <laughs> everybody's moving to florida all together <laughs> we're gonna not, not even texas because texas gets cold yeah and apparently they get florida snow. no we're just going to florida we're going there. See, um, this is yeah. the interesting thing though okay i learned this since moving to the u.s mm. What the reputation that Florida has in Canada is basically it's warm there and all of the seniors right. go there. That's basically it, right? That's yeah, what we that's know right. about Florida. Mm-hmm. And then I moved here and everyone's like, oh, Florida, you know. And I was like, what's wrong with Florida? I thought it was super nice down there. Anyways, it's much more complex. I've right. Learned. Okay. So, because, because like culture, like Florida, right. like. Like it's like touristy, like that kind of it's thing. Like I had to ask. Well, the Canadians are there. Is that? Well, there's a bunch of Canadians. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I asked. I asked my husband because he's American. I was like, "What? What is this about Florida? Why do? Why are people hating on Florida?" But he's like, basically, I don't quite understand it still. But there's political political reasons. So people, okay. you know, don't tend to maybe if people don't agree with the political leanings of Florida, then that can be a thing. It's right. also, I guess, it, it has. You know, a lot of people move there because it is warm right. and perhaps has a bit of a reputation of like party, kind of laid back right. something, or maybe not just not as hmm. like a little more wild, a little more um, like uh, sure criminal or something. I don't know. <laughs> if there are some Floridians listening please like send me what's Florida actually like I have uh, never been there I've been, I, I've been there I really like it it's beautiful I liked it I, really loved I, it. I mean my grandma yeah. always used to bring like bring us back shells but my, my grandparents were snowbirds um, mm-hmm. in Florida and they kind of went every year basically until COVID. Just in case you don't know what a snowbird is, say, that yeah. is a Canadian mm-hmm. who spends the winter times in mm-hmm. warm places South. in the U.S. You typically Florida. 
Typically yeah, Florida, exactly. sometimes Arizona. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Maybe Texas yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. or, you know, New Orleans or. Just like you know, south somewhere. Just south. Yeah, just where there's south. no snow. Yeah. Right. Good. Yeah. Yes. All right. Listen, I'm excited for today's episode because yes. I think okay. this topic is fun. Well, <laughs> great. This is good. Um, well, yeah. You know, if you tuned in, you're like, oh my gosh, what's this going to be about? Mm-hmm. Uh, so today we're going to talk about obedience, um, mm-hmm. which is, okay. So this is a podcast on suffering. And when we think about obedience, at least from like a child's perspective of like, you must obey. It's like, a, it's one of the hard lessons that we have to learn as kids, right? Mm-hmm. Of like listening to our parents and stuff. And I feel like we never it never gets, I don't know if it ever gets easier, right. Oh, yeah. Um, to, mm. to curb our own wills. And so we, so we were, we started talking about this, um, topic because, um, without, without us trying to dive into the actual content of this situation or give any kind of opinion, because we don't feel like we know enough, um, the situation of, of Frank Pavone, who was formerly father Frank Pavone, but who's been laicized, um, who laicized and and the reason that was stated was that he was not obeying his bishop's um, instructions to uh, stop being involved in in political activities, which which all priests are not supposed to do. Am I supposed to like? I think it's like encouraging people to vote, but not trying to guide people one way or the other into which political parties and something like that. Um, and so uh, we were thinking about this, like, oh yeah, okay, so he was. This is like a pretty severe. Um, punishment for someone because of obedience so what what does it mean to obey what is uh what does it mean to obey what 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 is the place of obedience in our life as as christians as catholics um as humans and and what's you know what are the sufferings that can come from that and what are the joys that can come from that and when when is it appropriate to obey when is it maybe not um Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll start with Aaron. If you can give us yeah. maybe like the theological, like what does the church teach about <laughs> obedience and when, when are we supposed to obey and not yeah. obey? And yeah, who yeah. has, you know, some people have special vows to obedience. How does that work? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, feel free to interject, Rach and Nicole, as we go along. But I think, I mean, if we look at the church in general, we have a hierarchical structure. This is how Jesus set up the the church, right? And he's given particular, like whether whatever roles people have, whether they're a bishop or they're like a religious superior for a religious congregation or something like that, um, or whether they're our boss or and it's not even in, in mm-hmm. our religious situation at all or something like that, there is like a hierarchy of authority and So we would say, I think, I mean, it's reasonable to say that, okay, so the people who've been placed in legitimate positions of authority over us, when they're not asking us to to sin or to whom we owe a debt of obedience, so to our bishop or to a religious superior or even to our boss, although, of course, that's a different context, um, or even like our spiritual director um, Mm -hmm. in in some ways, you know, that, that we have an obligation to that to that obedience, but also that the church would say that the that the highest, like our conscience, is um, is the highest authority in our lives, right? So we always have a duty. It's not even just a, you should probably obey your conscience, but actually we have a duty to obey our conscience. However, that means having a well-formed conscience. So like, it means that um, we have to know what the church teaches about obedience, for example. And if we have a well-formed conscience, then a well-formed conscience can help us to discern well when it's a situation of like, I should be obedient in this situation and suck it up, even though it's not the best thing. And I think this person's making a wrong decision. 
or whether it's like, and we're never obliged to obey sin. Like if somebody yeah, dies, yeah. it's sin. Like that's just, you know, um, or if we're actually like our conscience is asking us to voice some kind of conscientious objection to this person mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems it's, it's, it feels muddy. It would be much yeah. easier. It would be much easier if it's just like, well, in the church, we're called to um, obey the church and obey our civil authorities and bosses unless we're called to, unless it's leading us to sin, period, exclamation mark, mm-hmm. the end, right? And then, but then it's like, yeah. okay, well, we're also called to obey our conscience. And um, I, I wonder if sometimes discerning what is and isn't a sin or like, is it a sin? I'm, in my mind, I'm like, okay, there's some obvious sins, right? Where yeah. it's like, if somebody tells you to go and steal something or kill someone, um, generally that's probably going to be a sin. And so don't do that thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, even if it's coming from someone who's an authority of you, what if it's a sin of omission, whether, what if it's something that somebody feels really called to do and feels convicted of and, um, and then they're told, no, don't do this thing. And they're worried. Yes. But I feel like God's calling me to do this thing. Now mm-hmm. that's, you know, right. So it, it gets, it can get tricky. And, but, and you're talking about, mm-hmm. but then the conscience, our consciousness should be formed so that we have a sense of, trust in the church and in the structure of the church so that mm-hmm. we obey even when it doesn't make sense to us. So yeah. I, I think I'm just repeating what you said, Aaron, and just trying no, to No, it's it. good though. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it, I have it, the humility. Go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I think that people sometimes, especially today, maybe because like there's a lot of stuff in our, in our church today where, I mean, you know, we've got, like, there just is like a lot of areas of division and, and mm-hmm. on this stuff often, like, you know, like yeah. on, are you right. called to obey your bishop in this or not this? Or is your bishop mm-hmm. in there? You know what I'm talking about? Like there's all a lot of issues yeah. I feel like today. Where it's is like, your bishop wrong because he's, because he's doing away with the TLM? Is he like, yeah. And I, again, like I'm not going to weigh one way or another mm-hmm. on those things, but mm-hmm. these are things, these are kinds of, that's a really good example of like different kinds of issues that are coming up. And I think, I'm people, sorry, just for listeners who might know, TLM stands oh. for a traditional Latin mass, which is yeah. um, people who go to a mass that's celebrated in the way that it would have been before the second Vatican council where reforms were made and, and church uh, mass was celebrated in the um, right. Roman, in the vernacular. In the language. Novus mm-hmm. order, yeah. Novus order, yeah. Yeah. But, no, no. So, I mean, like, I mean, this, that's a really great example, but I think there are other kinds of examples too. Like I can think of actually, even in my diocese, like our, um, for example, our, you know, there's a, there's a way, there's a norm, there's a norm for how you receive communion. Every mm-hmm. sort of diocese has like, this is our norm and, and you're allowed to, so this is not like a strict obedience thing, for example, but in our diocese, the norm that the, that the bishop asks of us is to bow before mm-hmm. uh, receiving and not to kneel. So like preference for not kneeling. Now, I know a lot of really faithful Catholics who feel really called to kneel and do, and they're not, they're not being disobedient to the bishop in the sense that the bishop is not, like priests are not allowed to refuse you communion in that context or anything like that. But like, it's one of these things where, so that when I've worked through the diocese, like as a pastoral worker or like campus minister or different kinds of things, I really had to make a decision. Like, am I going to Cause I had read that. If I hadn't read it, I don't think I would have worried about it, but I had read it. And I was like, and it was in my mind. And I remember I made a decision to, cause I used to like prefer kneeling or mm-hmm. not kneeling when I receive, but kneeling even before you receive, like you can sort of genuflect. Right. Mm-hmm. And I used to do that, but I moved to bowing instead of genuflecting. And the reason I did that was because I realized when I would genuflect, like it would bring up in my mind, like, oh my gosh, like, oh gosh, the bishop says not to genuflect and what am I doing? And so mm-hmm. then I wasn't really able to focus on the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I think like, even though for me, it 
felt I was more compelled before I read this to genuflect it. And that felt more sort of what my heart, where my heart was. I, it was somehow still taking me away from like Mm. the Lord in that moment. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I will just do the bowing thing. Even though I don't have, like, I, I think it's so, be- like, it's very moving to me when people kneel and receive or genuflect before they, like, I did that, that physical movement is a very beautiful um, mm-hmm. symbol for me. So it's not like I was like, well, that's what everybody has to do. But I remember that was a struggle for me. And I, and I, and I resolved it in that way, because I think for me, the Lord was like, you, yeah, it's good. This is an exercise in humility. It's an exercise mm-hmm. in, in obedience because yeah. Yeah. And it's good for you. So I was going to say, like, in these questions, I think that there's kind of, there's maybe lots of different ways you could land, but two sort of maybe main ways you could go is one is sort of the pursuit of humility. And the yeah. other is maybe like the pursuit of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And like, really, you want both, but sometimes it can turn into like humility, like the flaws that can come in, like humility can turn into like, well, I'm not really asking myself the tough questions. I'm just sort of like, well, that's what I'm being asked to do. So I'm not going to think about it. I'm just mm. going to do it. And you're not even going to think about it at all. And the other side is like self-righteousness where like, I mm. thought about it and I'm right. So I'm right. just going to so do pride, it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I think like, yeah. you know, and I think for me, because I probably have a greater tendency to pride, I go towards humility as the way that I probably need to go. So unless I'm, unless like, I know that there's some kind of sin involved, I think I've realized like probably more often than not, the Lord is calling me to be meek and mm. sort of humble, even if I, and I, and I can still hold the position that I don't agree or mm-hmm. don't love right. the order or the, you know, whatever I'm kind of right. deciding to obey in that moment. Yeah. But I feel I have this kind of over time, like the Lord is giving me sort of this like deep, which not in a pride boy, but like there's this deep kind of confidence that if mm. I'm doing this act out of like, just trust and humility that God is with me in that act, then even if I Mm -hmm. got it wrong in a certain sense, like if the, if the bishop or the priest or whoever it is that I'm obeying, Mm -hmm. the Lord is with me because like the intention there was not to be, uh, you know, flippant, but it, it was to sort of avoid my primary sort of my, my primary tendency, which is toward pride mm-hmm. and to be obedient because my desire is to obey the Lord in that moment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I have less of fear yeah. of like getting the question right or wrong, as long as it's not sin, obviously, which can yeah. be a thing, but yeah. I, I want to um, ask you, Erin, too, if you've had situations mm-hmm. where you've had to kind of obey, and I'll share some of my own too, but just as you're talking, Rachel, I want to reflect, um, there is something in a sense, practical, <laughs> um, where, and, and something, you know, the, the scripture, um, in the Psalm, I think it's like, you know, le- mm, I'm going to probably misquote this, but lean, basically lean, not, lean, lean not, not on your own yes. understanding, right. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as Christians, as Catholics, we're not called to be right. We're called to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, and faithfulness implies a faithfulness to, right. And sometimes that faithfulness too needs to take a human form, like, the, the people that who are, are given the task of leading. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, somebody talking about why was, why was Moses not allowed to enter into the promised land when, you know, there was also sin by all the people and mm. different things and, and, you know, something like that. Why was he given such a, a severe punishment? And it was like, well, that he was the leader. So there was more mm. weight 
on his responsibility to lead and the people's responsibility who were, you know, who were following him. And so mm-hmm. I think, I think there's something of that that holds true where I don't have to figure out how the church should be run because it's too big for me. That's yeah. not my job. Right. Um, but I have to do my best to love and follow and obey in, mm-hmm. in the context that I find myself um, again with, you know, within the limits of, of, yeah. of conscience in severe matters. I think um, a really practical way that I've experienced this is when, so when my husband and I were dating, we started dating about three months before COVID had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time I was living, I was renting a room from uh, some sisters in Toronto. So I was living in this convent. Um, two of the sisters were older. One was 98. She's turning a hundred this year. Um, and wow. our she was 97 at the time, whatever. She's, she was in her 90s, her late 90s. Uh, and, you know, the first kind of few days where the, the lockdown happened and everyone was talking about COVID, Nathan and I were still seeing each other in person, but we started talking about like, well, what, like, should we be? You know, everyone's starting this whole distancing thing and mm. what, what, like, what should we do? <laughs> like, but we don't mm. want to not see each other. We just started this relationship and you know, and, and um, Nathan had had a really difficult experience with like long distance relationship in the past. So he was like nervous about that. And it was just all these things. So we decided that I would go and talk to um, the mother superior of the house. Mm-hmm. And we would just say, look, this is, this is, you know, we would like to see each other. What is your guidance? And whatever you say, we'll, we'll abide by that. Um, and so she did, we did. And she told us um that, that she would appreciate us, you know, not mm. seeing each other. Nathan was living with like 10 people at the time um, with all these Ukrainian folks right. in another yeah. house. And then we had seven people living in our place. So it just, um, you know, it made sense. So we did, we, for three months, we were long distance, even though we lived a 15 minute walk apart, mm-hmm. um, except for one, one time where we did end up hugging so there was one time when, oh, anyway, that, was a whole, that was a whole situation, but, um, <laughs> where I had a really, I, my mental health was rough that whole period. Anyways. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was tough. It was really, really tough, mm. but also I could see that there was some real graces that, that came out of that time because we just ended up like FaceTiming a lot and talking mm. and talking and talking and praying together over the phone. And, um, not that we wouldn't have talked if we were in person, but it was just different because that's all, that was the only thing we could do. We couldn't go on dates. It was just conversations mm-hmm. it was beautiful yeah and yeah so there was grace in that and then when it was oh. time for you know when things ended a few months later that that you know that first kind of lockdown we're like oh yeah COVID's over mm-hmm. um, we yeah see each other again so I don't lovely, know it, yeah. but I but it was the same thing where it's like I felt this weight of responsibility where I'm like I don't want to get anyone sick in my house and I don't want to get anyone sick in Nathan's house and mm. um and if I, if that weight of responsibility is on someone who actually does have responsibility over the house and not on me, then it becomes not my job to figure out all of the risks and possible benefits and all the things, but just to trust in somebody who does have that authority, um, right. whatever their decision was. Yeah. So it took, it took, in a sense, it was, it was hard, yeah. but it also took the weight off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, I love, um, I'm thinking even of like, of even your example of the Eucharist, Rachel, like I, I know for me, I firmly believe that, um, that receiving the Eucharist on the tongue should be the norm. I firmly believe that reverence for the Eucharist, um, 
that there are ways that we can restore that, right? Or that the postures that we use that reflect our inner posture are important for restoring Mm -hmm. a... Like, these are things that I firmly believe. And I would argue, like, I have all kinds of good reasons for arguing about, you know, what happened with this dispensation and this this document of the church says this. And I can 100% have that conversation with you until... yeah. And I and I do believe those things very, very, very strongly. Yep. yep. Um, but also, I think there's something that to be said because, like, we talk about suffering, we talk about offering it up and uniting our sufferings to the Lord, right? If you had a whole church who was on their knees offering up the pain of not being able to receive the Eucharist on their knees, mm-hmm. and was offering that more than they were complaining. There are real graces that come from that that I don't think we realize come from yeah. that of yeah. of mortifying. It's not even mortifying ourselves. Like we talk about, you know, whatever fasting or doing all the it's like these mortifications mm-hmm. that the Lord sends, these opportunities for things. And it's not mm-hmm. to say that we shouldn't communicate ourselves to our bishop yeah. or to mm-hmm. a legitimate authority in in love and charity and make make the movements of our heart known to those who have the ability to discern. And to make those decisions in the competence of authority that they've been given, but also that we should do both. <laughs> like it yeah. should be a both and, you know, like yeah. those things in love and charity to those who are in positions of authority. Um, and then also offering, mm-hmm. offering that pain of just eating it, like of yeah. just, yeah. well, I just said and, eating it in reference yeah. to the Eucharist. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but also I think like, you know, there's a way in which you, obey that Mm. can be very um powerful like you know like like if I I mean I'm just gonna use that same example but like so when I was like okay I'm gonna choose to do to receive in this posture but then this posture is the way that I'm receiving I'm not I'm not doing sort of like fine like begrudgingly like okay I'll you Mm -hmm. know like it's like well now this is how I will receive and so Lord like help me to prepare myself when I bow before you to receive mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I think it's so funny. I, I mean, I'm not trying to say that this isn't like, I'm the example of this, but I have experienced other people whose obedience in humility, when, when it, when the witness is holiness, like when the witness mm-hmm. to in obedience is holiness, it is so powerful. Like it actually changes, yeah. it changes things. Like, yeah. People become more open. People yeah. will mm-hmm. like the discussion. I think we would be surprised how discussions can be moved forward. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole thing of like, I'm not trying to say like, don't talk, like do lead by your life or like that. Kind right. Of, yeah. Not like, saying that. Yeah. August St. Francis thing that, right. you know, which is, but there's something beautiful about it. I'm not trying to make fun of it entirely. Like there's a reason why people found that compelling. And I guess mm-hmm. that's the thing that I'm picking, picking out of that, which yeah. is that, you know, real holiness, not just like, don't be afraid to talk and lead just through your life example, yeah. because you're afraid to talk, not that, mm-hmm. but at like, like holiness lived out is mm. a conversation mover. Like yeah. people, it, yeah. it softens people and it opens mm-hmm. their mind. It literally opens people's minds to other mm-hmm. ideas and ways of being mm-hmm. and thinking mm-hmm. that they never would have ever considered before. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's just piercing to mm-hmm. really experience the holiness of someone else, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I wonder, 
there's a lot of talk about, you hear people saying, well, if only the priests or the bishops were leading in this and this way or doing mm-hmm. this or saying this, and, and probably sometimes there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if um, the strategy of complaining and arguing and debating and slandering mm-hmm. um, is not as powerful as, you know, let's say Aaron, you were to write, you know, just communicate this sticking. Oh, I can give an example, like a real <laughs> sure, example yeah. of, yeah. yeah. Cause there was, um, there was something that was happening um, at one of my previous workplaces and it involved a decision um, that the Bishop had to make about something. And so it was something that I felt very convicted about, you know, like, and I, I really still believe mm-hmm. that the decision that we had landed at about the direction that we wanted to go was good and right and would be helpful and beautiful for the ministry and all of these kind of things, right? But ultimately, it was the bis- the bishop's decision. And I ended up writing him uh, a letter. This was before he made a decision. He never ended up making a decision. So there's no neat wrap up to the story. But mm-hmm. I did end up writing him a letter when I knew he was considering all of these things. And in the in the letter, I I basically just said to him, like, I recognize that you are the competent authority. I feel very strongly that this is the right thing to do, but I also feel very strongly about being obedient to you and to whatever you decide. And whatever you decide, I hands down, I will be obedient to whatever you decide mm-hmm. without protest, you know? Mm-hmm. And he sent me a message back and and um, basically said thank you for that, like that it was very meaningful. And it was like, for me to send that, I, like, honestly, I, I, it was like eating shards of glass. That's what I said to the ladies before. Like, it felt like that. Cause I was like, I'm like typing the things out and I was like, this is true. And I want to be obedient. But at the same time, I'm like, with every keystroke of the thing, I was like, this is baloney. This is terrible. I shouldn't have to say this because I'm right. This is the best thing. And it was like, it was like this exercise in like, forced humility but Mm -hmm. I just I knew it was also the right thing to write him that and say like you are the bishop you have the you know the the final say you know and I think what that does too when because you what you're saying is I'm entrusting this to you and I trust you Mm -hmm. I trust you and when you when you communicate to someone that you trust them they I think they experience the weight of that responsibility in a different way than mm-hmm. when you say, well, I think you should do this. They don't, you're not entrusting the weight that you're not saying that you trust them then with that responsibility, but you're saying, mm-hmm. I trust you. You're saying, I, I see that the responsibility is yours and I'm going to leave that with you. I'm not going to try to take that for myself. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm even, I've experienced this even just mm-hmm. with Nathan and I being, you know, making decisions together. And, yeah. and we, we really, I think generally just make decisions together and we, we mm-hmm. talk about things until we come on the same page. But once in a while, there'll be something where I'm like, you know what? I just, I feel like maybe he's, he just has a better idea of whatever it is. And I just say, okay, you know what, Nathan, like, I trust you, like whatever you decide, I trust you. And he kind of like, he always, when I do that, he's like, oh, Okay, well, now that means, like, I have to make a really good decision because, like, you trust me with this, you know? Um, yeah. And I, so I think there is something yeah. powerful of that. Like, and yeah. um, can we do that? Mm-hmm. You know, can There's we a- can we b- sort of make a self-fulfilling prophecy of trusting those who are in authority over us sometimes mm-hmm. by communicating that trust? I think there's also, there's a deeper, there's even, like, one more level to that, which is, especially in the church, mm-hmm we're talking about obedience to the church because there is sort of like, I trust the Lord. Like there's sort of like this sense of like, 
you know, which is, which even in a way it's like one up on that. Cause it's like, you know, I, I, I'm struggling with your decision and I don't know if I agree with you, but I don't have to, because I actually know who's running this show. Like mm-hmm. in a certain yes. sense, like there's mm-hmm. a way in which I know that of the authority that underwrites your authority, which mm-hmm. is the absolute authority. And I have so much trust in that authority that I'm not going to be perturbed by yeah. anything that you're doing that in some cases even feels like you're going against that authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have to correct you. I don't mm-hmm. because I know, yeah. that I know mm-hmm. who will, like I know who will yeah. one it, time it, and another. Yeah. Will, it know? comes down to the question of, do I trust that the Holy spirit is leading the Catholic church or do I not? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if I do trust that, then I'm, I can obey right. and trust that even if I don't understand, it's not my job to understand mm-hmm. that I can obey except in sin. Um, but generally it's going to be to obey because I trust that the Holy Catholic, the Holy Spirit is leading the Catholic Church. If we yeah. no longer trust that the Holy Spirit is leading the Catholic Church, then we're in the that's same problem. camp as Protestants, yeah. right? Like well, yeah. Or, and it, it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. That's the yeah, that's the yeah. thing, right? Like no, it doesn't, and I'm, not, and I'm trying right. to say that. No, exactly. But, yeah, and, and but sometimes I feel like that's the thing that we fall into. Like, oh well, like or the people like we can't fall into because then if we say like, oh, I trust Lord that you're leading the church, and then it's like, okay, well, hands off, and we don't yeah, actually mm-hmm. have to point, like yeah. allow the Holy Spirit to yeah. speak through us or think, right? But but that's an active, like an act of trust. It, but, but it is, yeah. I will say like, and you said this a little while ago in our conversation, Nicole, like, what am I called to do? Right. Cause mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. like Nicole says, yeah. like, I'm not called to structure the church the in quotes right way. Like that's not my vocation, mm-hmm. you know? So like, I think that can be really distracting too. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, I'm supposed to correct this person and that person and everybody listen to my opinion. And like, that's not like, mm-hmm. our, I mean, some people are called to that, right? Like some people, mm-hmm. Like Aaron and I have studied theology or like I'm in a theology program. Like, like that's in a way theologians have mm-hmm. that vocation who like are called to write on a certain area, whatever, like right. seek it or, or talk about it. Or we look at St. Catherine of Siena who prayed mm-hmm. for what her first 20 right? years of life. And then the Lord said, okay, now I'm going to call you to go and like reorganize Europe basically mm-hmm. and the papacy. And, mm-hmm. and so it she, was an act of obedience on her part. She was like, yeah. okay, Lord, I obey. You know, it wasn't yeah. like she was like, well, I'm really passionate yeah. about this. Yeah. Even she, well, I'm sure she was. I mean, mm-hmm. she definitely was. Yeah. But that's not where it was coming from. Mm-hmm. So it's like, first of all, if we are called, so when we're called to be corrective measures in a certain mm-hmm. sense. Also, we have to, I think we're just so vigilant about like, where is that? Yeah. Where, what's the spirit of that correction? Is mm-hmm. it coming from self? Is it coming from pride? Mm-hmm. Or is it coming from genuine submission to the Lord's calling yeah. of us in our lives? You and know, I, I think I think it's getting harder sometimes to discern that. Yeah. And I think Fair. that we must yeah. go back to the examples of the saints. If yeah. we want to yeah. know how to navigate tough things in the church, we must go and read the lives of the saints. Totally agree. And mm-hmm. read what did they do? When did they obey? How did that work out for them? What did they do? And then follow that example. Mm-hmm. Um Right. That's because who who else are we going to follow except those who have gone before us in the church and are and who were um, I was going to say diagnosed examples for like lauded as having heroic virtue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they Uh, have like they do have intense like like the when we're talking about the obedience that they that they expressed. It was not just minor like like you think about Padre Pio who who 
was not given faculties to say mass for a long time or to hear confessions because there was doubt about whether um, this the stigmata that he had what that if it was real or if it was being yeah. faked or if it like the other things that would happen to him like the locutions or things like that like whether they were fake so then he was forbidden from saying and he he it, like it reminds me of this was one of the things that we're talking about when when we're talking about obedience is we're talking about like Jesus like like mm-hmm. a lamb he was led to the slaughter and yeah. he did mm-hmm. not open his mouth like mm-hmm. he he was obedient to the father even unto death and so it's like yeah. that mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. is what the saints were following yeah. that is who they were following in their obedience mm-hmm. right like and they saw they didn't just see obedience to Jesus but they saw obedience to Jesus through the church who is the mother of us all and the bride of Christ, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. which is so beautiful. And it's so paradoxical sometimes, right? Like, so that's such a good, because like you think about Padre Pio mass, like, you know, you can watch, right. You can, you can go on YouTube and watch him say there are like videos of him saying mass. And you're like, this man was sort of precluded from doing this. Like, you know, it's just, it's just mind blowing, but he did. And I think Mm -hmm. it's more, his witness is more powerful for that. Like it's for his obedience, for his Mm -hmm. obedience. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and we were talking earlier, you know, before we recorded about St. Teresa of Avila, she Mm -hmm. actually for that, that was an example that my uncle shared with me when I was a kid and Mm -hmm. was very powerful for me. Um, just briefly for maybe people who don't know much about her, um, her, she also received locutions and quite a lot of them and very powerful ones. And her spiritual directors were like, this is, or her spiritual directors like, this is, we don't know if this is from God. Like you have to resist, you have to sort of see these visions and these, yeah. these visions, but they were like visions of like the sacred heart of Jesus. And like, mm. and she knew, I mean, Nicole was reading out to us a few things earlier. Like she knew, she never denied that they were from the Lord. She never actually could say like, I don't think these are from God because in interiorly, she kind of knew that they were, mm-hmm. and yet she, she resisted till her mm-hmm. spiritual directors, she kept saying yeah. like, it's very tough. She, she was honest with them, but she kept obeying. She kept obeying. And it was so hard. And I remember hearing that from my uncle, like when I was a kid and just thinking like, it just made obedience make a lot of sense to me mm-hmm. because it had both things. Like mm-hmm. saint was, is never, is never in these contexts is never saying, is never denying the truth that they know in their mm-hmm. hearts. They're not mm-hmm. saying like, well, somebody said it, it's, it's not true. So therefore so it not, must not yeah. be true. They know they don't never do that, mm-hmm. but they conform themselves to what is being asked of them. As long as it's not sinful in that situation, despite knowing better than the people asking them to conform. Right. And that's precisely yep. their obedience, right? Like Because I, God plays the long game. Like, and that's mm-hmm. the thing, right? Is because the will of the Lord will always be accomplished in some way at some point, because he is always working everything according to his will. Right. So, so it's, and he uses everything for good. So in all of these things, like exactly like you say, like watching Padre Pio or having Teresa of Avila and seeing this like beauty of obedience in them actually gives much more credence to the authenticity of the things Mm -hmm. that were happening because Mm -hmm. their humility, in their humility, they were able to just give it into the hands of the Lord and Mm -hmm. trust that his will would be still accomplished in all things. And it, and it was, you know, for powerful, powerful, Mm -hmm. powerful witness, like even more powerful than if they had never experienced that. Mm -hmm. 
I have another story actually, which is not obedience, but maybe exemplifies like the humility that I think the saints, because Mm. they also, this is, we talked about humility already, but I think this is also part of why it's so powerful because their commitment to God, you know, and I don't like, you know, Mm. like I really am before God, nothing in a certain sense, you know, and I really trust him to uphold my nothingness, like my littleness Mm utterly like I utterly trust him so that kind of attitude humility so I heard this from a priest a priest um that is close to my family who knew who's an elderly priest who knew Mother Teresa actually very well Hmm. and he um has lots of Mother Teresa stories so he has this one story where he was with a fellow priest and the fellow priest is sort of like doubtful about Mother Teresa because she was like becoming like a big deal and he's like oh gosh it's like pop you know it goes like popular yeah yeah yeah, whatever like you know think she's all that like kind of thing and and, you know, and this priest that I know is like, kind of knew that that wasn't true, but like, just in saying, there's like listening to this man, like kind of complain about how she was maybe like big headed or something, something like that. And I, I'm, you know, I fully will put the caveat of like, I'm, I'm I don't know all the details of the story, but something along those lines. And then what happened was Mother Teresa were at this conference or some kind of retreat or something and Mother Teresa came up to them and like this priest sort of had this opinion. And the first thing that she did was as a sister, as a nun, like kneel before this. The very first thing was like kneel before this priest, say, Father, can I can I have your blessing? Like the one of the very first things that she did. And he was just completely and utterly disarmed by mm-hmm. her humility. Like he he just wasn't expecting that submission from her and yet mm-hmm. for her it was like not at all unusual she didn't know him but that's just sure what she did when she met him exactly or whatever yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly and like so that was also very obvious like that this wasn't like she had no idea of what he thought of her or anything like that it was just mm. her her spirit of you know um sort of re- receptivity of the church like the you know mm. the 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 fatherhood of this priest and and the mm. blessing that it would be to receive his blessing and so you know, it's just like that so much doesn't just, it wasn't just encountering her words or her conversation. It was just her very demeanor, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was not, you couldn't really argue with it. You can, and just totally disarming. And so that's, and that's another example I think of like change the conversation, right? Like just totally change yeah. the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Because then the other thing is like, I mean, I don't, and, and I'm, I'm embellishing on this story, but in that context, somebody could be thinking about Mother Teresa as a career nun or like, you know, mm-hmm. their sort of thoughts about ministry and what she's doing, her mission are totally about worldly stuff. But that kind of encounter just switches the paradigm to like, right, it's about Jesus. Like it's really, mm-hmm. it's about all of us trying to cooperate with the grace of God to receive this gift that he's constantly of himself that he's constantly offering to us, you mm-hmm. know, that's mm-hmm. transformative. Yeah. Because that's really what obedience is about. I mean, I think, you know, and maybe I'm getting like uber passionate about obedience, which is weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, obedience. Yeah, right. like, that is kind of what it's about. I think at the end of the day, it's about, yeah. it's not about actually the thing that you're being obedient in. It's about uh, allowing yourself through the grace of the Holy Spirit to be opened up more mm-hmm. and more mm-hmm. yeah. to be able to receive what yeah. God wants yeah. to give you. Right. You yeah. Could, I, yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. Rachel's been standing on her desk. If you're just listening and you're not <laughs> no, you know, watching the video, she's been standing on her desk with her moment, yeah. in the air, <laughs> yeah. speaking these things over us for right. the last 10 minutes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. It's 
good. Yeah, so sitting good. back down. Mm-hmm. But yeah. No, I was never sitting at my desk. Just <laughs> she was not. She was not. I, I was being. No, that would make it hard with the microphone and all that. But yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, right. yeah. good. <laughs> Well, this is good. I feel like this is a good breaking. I mean, we could talk more about this. And um, we didn't even talk about being like obedient to God from the angle of like inner workings of the soulness. Well, we did kind of, but like that's like a whole other. We could talk more about that at some discernment, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Or when God is calling us to do something (sighs) difficult and we have to. But oh yeah, that's right. Just getting my prop for God winks here. Yeah. Okay. Well. So yes, Aaron has a Godwing. If you have thoughts, folks, uh, listening about obedience and you want to share them with us, send us a message. We'd love mm-hmm. to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Also, please, uh, if you're listening and you like our podcast, please leave us a review because it does help us a lot for mm-hmm. helps other yeah. folks to find us. Yep. All right, Aaron. Sweet. You have a link from okay. God. I do. So <laughs> I've been. This is the never-ending hair saga that, um, so for anybody who's new, I have always had straight hair all of my life. I started swimming and I'm getting older, which means there's like hormone weirdness that's probably happening so that all of a sudden I have this and it doesn't look like it, but when it's wet, it's like curlier hair, wavy, um, wavy definitely some good waves in there. Mm-hmm. So then I was looking at what I'm supposed to do with this kind of hair. Cause I don't know what to do with it. Um, and uh, so then I saw that you should use a diffuser when you're blow drying it. Um, and then that can help retain some of the curl shape or whatever. And so I don't have a diffuser or money to buy a diffuser. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> if I don't know, it's going to work. It's just going to be a waste of money. So I saw this trick on, um, I think, Instagram or something like that, where you can buy a metal sieve what is this mm-hmm. called like a yeah, like sieve. A strainer sieve. yeah one of those yeah. metal strainer sieve things anyway so um so I decided I was going to do that and give it a try so I went to the dollar store and on the way I was like lord I don't this is ridiculous and I feel ridiculous going to the store to buy a metal strainer to put my head in to shoot hot air at it and see if that does something but um but I was also thinking and also I have a lot of hair and they usually only have like tiny things there you know what I mean mm-hmm. like at the dollar mm-hmm. store if you're getting cooking things like on the tinier side or something mm-hmm. I'm like it's not anyway so I walked into the dollar store and I looked and it was right there on the wall when I first walked in it is the biggest <laughs> like eight inches or something eh? That I have ever seen. It's like bigger than like if I put it on oh, my yeah, head, like there's a good amount of room. It's the biggest thing I have ever seen. So um anyway, so it was God was like, listen, don't you worry. I provide. <laughs> when I provide something, I really provide it. That's great. So that gave me a laugh. Yeah. I love that. It that doesn't work, awesome. by the way. So just in case anybody <laughs> was like, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm just going to use it for craft dinner. Nice. This whole exercise is just being like, I just want you to know that I provide, but that's also right. don't do this. To also you. stop, get off of Instagram. <laughs> stop it. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Beautiful. Well, thanks ladies for this chat. And thank you all for listening today. We hope you enjoy this conversation and yes. we look forward to having you tuned in next time. Mm-hmm. Yay! God bless you! Bye-bye! Thank you for joining us for this episode of In the Thicket. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday with more stories and honest conversations about life when the going gets rough and the hope and humor amidst it all. We'd love for you to join our community on Instagram and Facebook at In the Thicket Podcast. While you're there, let us know how we can pray for you. God bless and see you next week.